You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Well, tomorrow night we're going to be meeting back here again uh, at 6.30. Uh, We're going to be kind of continuing in our visioning and our prayer time uh, through the book of Nehemiah. Tomorrow night we are on uh, chapter 10. Um, is the chapter we're going to be looking at. Uh, Again, it's a very, very interesting chapter because uh, it has some names in it, not as many as uh, other chapters have had, but there's some very interesting things that kind of happen uh, in chapter 10, and that is is that um, the Israelites, after hearing uh, God's word, after kind of repentance, after celebrating the Feast of of Booth, uh, they are now ready to kind of begin to make some commitments, some declarations. And that's kind of what they do there in chapter 10, is they begin to commit themselves uh, to obedience uh, to God's word. And so we're going to kind of look at that, um, talk about that, pray into that uh, tomorrow night again, just kind of asking ourselves, what is God saying to us as individuals? What is God saying to us as a church through uh, what the Israelites are doing there uh, in chapter 10. So again, I just invite you to take some time between now and then to read through chapter 10, uh, and we'll join uh, here again uh, tomorrow night, 6.30 to 7.30, uh, right here, and uh, hope that you can make it. Uh, Before I get into the sermon, I want to just invite Claudia uh, Cooper uh, to kind of come, and she just wanted to share a little bit of a testimony. Um, almost three months ago, our youngest son um, started out with a, a virus, like we all get, a cold, um, but his went into pneumonia. He ended up in critical care here, and when I had talked to Pastor Jeff last week, I just wanted to put a little something in the bulletin, how much we appreciated everything that everybody did in this church body. And he said, well, why don't you talk about it? And I said, okay, I like to talk. (laughs) So there are just so many people to thank. I have this little book here that I wrote things down as Wyatt was going through all of these, all of this trial. Um, Pastor Jeff and Janie came up prayed over him when he was in critical care. Um, He just got worse and worse, and all of you prayed. I know that River City House of Prayer had had prayer for him. And our son, Will, back there, our middle son, took care of Wyatt's dog while we were going through all of this. We ended up, uh, they flew him by plane to Iowa City, where, and he had been intubated and in a coma, And they did a procedure called an ECMO procedure where they take this big old hunk and cannula and put it in a vein and goes down here somewhere, I don't know. And then there there are two like uh, garden hoses coming out and they would take his blood um, and put it back into this machine 
and oxygenate it, and then it would go back in his body. So the next day, after they did the procedure, they extubated him, which was a miracle in itself. Um, we walked in, and, and it's kind of a shock to see these tubes of blood coming out. But he had a small little voice, and uh, the doctors were amazed. On the fourth day, that was on Wednesday, the 2nd, I think, of January, they took, the can they took him off the ECMO machine, and they took the cannula out. And they were still amazed. They, had ju they were just in awe. The doctors were in awe of what happened, how quickly he responded. And I said, we have lots of prayer. We had prayer from Georgia and Florida all the way out to California and, and a niece up in Alaska and all of you, every one of you were part of that. Whether it was prayer or food, um, taking care of my in-laws, um, I just, I, I just don't have a lot of words other than this church body has been so good. So fast forward, we got to bring him home then on the 7th of January. And two and a half weeks ago, the cardiologist, cardi cardiologist here had ordered um, an MRI on his heart because through all of this, we found out that he had chronic high blood pressure, which he, they said he'd probably had it for years. We didn't know about it. So it affected his liver, his kidneys, his heart was enlarged, and his left ventricle was hardened. So through all of this, he's, well, he's been on five different high blood pressure meds now. And the cardiologist ordered the MRI on his heart and the echocardiogram. And she called him called Will, or Wyatt, sorry Will, she called Wyatt the next, or that afternoon and said, wow, things look really good. So then this past week we went in to the cardiologist and got the report. And she said, I've never seen anything like this. She said the heart has, is, is functioning good, the kidneys are on their way to recovery. That's what we've been saying. Praise God. The liver has, is good. It's normal now. But she said, the thing that I'm really, really amazed at is that the left ventricle, the hardening of the left ventricle has actually gotten better. And I said, we had prayer. We had lots and lots and lots of prayer. And she said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. So I'm here to say, um, and through, through all of this, I just kept praising God. Whatever was going to happen, I just kept praising God and praising God and praying. And I could feel your prayers because it was really hard to sit there and watch. And we felt all of your prayers and all of your love. And we appreciate it so much. And I just... Um, I thank God.
for the outcome, for this miracle, because the doctors were stumped, absolutely amazed. So thank you so much. We love you all. It takes, it takes a whole tribe, and this church, this church family has been our, has been our tribe. Can't thank you enough. Thank you. Amen. Amen. And it was amazing, you know, every time we went up to see uh, Wyatt and uh, Claudia was there, you know, it was just amazing because I, I could always just see she was very calm. She was always very optimistic. I, I never, ever felt like she, uh, and maybe she had times of doubt and all of that kind of thing, but I just felt like every time we saw her, I just really felt like you could tell her focus really was um, on God and just trusting his promises. And it was really encouraging to me because one of the things that I saw like right away when I went into the room was she was wearing the band, God's Got This. And I could just tell that the way that she responded and reacted to everything that was happening, um, you know, even when, you know, we thought why it was getting better there at Mercy, and then they ended up having to take him to Iowa City, I just kind of never sensed that they ever lost sight of God's got this, God's in this, God's for us, God's taken care of us. I never, ever felt like they ever lost sight of that um, in that. And, you know, again, it, it's important just to have have those kinds of reminders. And so it was really encouraging when I saw that she had those. And I shared last week that I had ended up getting a bunch of these ordered, and they're out there uh, in a basket. And last week, I really kind of just encouraged uh, you, if you weren't here, uh, they're out there in a basket, and there are these bands, and it just simply says, God's got this. And I usually kind of just wear two or three on my wrist. And so what I like to do is when I kind of encounter people that maybe you're kind of going through a difficult time. Maybe they're struggling uh, with something. It's an opportunity for me, number one, to kind of just share uh, an, op an opportunity in my life or a situation in my life where I feel like God has been with me. God has saw me through a particular situation where God's been faithful to me uh, and then just share that to them as a, as a way of testimony, kind of like what Claudia did here this morning. And then I like to take one of the bands off and give it to that person again as a reminder to them, just as God's got this for me, God's got this for you, and then pray for them. And so I just encourage you this morning, if you didn't get to do this last week, uh, just take a couple of these, one of them for you that you just constantly keep that there as a reminder that no matter what you're going through, God's got this. And then a couple on there for others that as you meet people that you know maybe God just leads you to kind of share with them and to pray with them and to give them a band that you've got kind of some extras uh, on there. It, again, uh, when we had these uh, the very first time, um, 
We uh, ended up getting these for like a dollar a piece. I was able to find a, a way to get these uh, where we can get them now for 50 cents a piece. So if you can help us uh, cover the cost of those, uh, that would be great. If not, we just encourage you uh, to take them and just let it be an opportunity uh, for you to be witnessing and, and just praying uh, for others. So I encourage you to stop by the welcome uh, table out there uh, and grab a couple of those if you haven't um, already. A guy by the name of Peter Senge, he's a systems analyst and he's a senior lecturer at the uh, MIT Sloan School of Management. And he's a gentleman who kind of primarily writes and he lectures on um, how, what if situations or scenarios can radically transform or change your life and how those what-if situations can sometimes bring about great change in your life. It's a book he wrote and, uh, called Presence in which he kind of shares a very, very interesting story. He's leading a seminar at a World Bank when an employee by the name of Fred uh, came up and shared a story with him that there was a time in his life where he had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And this gentleman, Fred, had been given kind of a couple of months left to live. And so Fred told uh, this individual, Peter, that one of the ways he kind of reacted to this news, this terminal illness, you've got a couple of months to live, was Fred was really going to begin to radically change the way he lived these last few months of his life. And he was going to start living his life as if he did not have many more tomorrows. And so again, like everybody who kind of maybe has had a situation like that in their life, he kind of goes through this, you know, period of grief of denial. And then Fred is telling Peter, he said, something amazing happened. He said, there kind of came this point in my life where I just stopped doing anything and everything that wasn't essential. I stopped doing the things in my life that really didn't matter. And he said, what really became interesting to me was he said that, you know, the, the things that were unimportant in life became even more so unimportant. And this is where the tr story kind of gets uh, pretty interesting. A few months had passed and Fred was still doing pretty well. And so a friend had kind of suggested to Fred that maybe he would just go and get a second opinion. So Fred goes and he gets a second opinion and he discovers that he had been misdiagnosed. He had a situation, uh, he had a disease, but it was a disease that was very, very treatable. And he kind of suddenly discovered that he was no longer terminally ill. And when the doctor kind of shared this news with Fred, Fred said his initial reaction was he cried like a baby. And Fred said, here's why. He said, I cried because I was afraid that my life would go back to being the way it used to be. And Fred made an amazing discovery. He said, when you begin to live like you are dying, you can't live the way you used to. He said, your focus becomes laser sharp on what is truly important. 
Now, I share this story with you because Fred kind of did what, you know, we all basically do uh, in those situations is, you know, when he received that news, he kind of created a bucket list. Now, maybe many of you have seen that movie. Uh, It's got, you know, uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, Morgan Freeman in it. Uh, It's called The Bucket List. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a great uh, movie. Uh, It's worth taking the time to watch it. Uh, Now, again, most of you that maybe are not familiar with that movie or familiar with the phrase, a bucket list. A bucket list is is just that. It's kind of a list of things that you want to do in life before you kick the bucket. Okay, we all have them. Uh, They may not be written down, uh, but most of us kind of have in our mind kind of maybe a a partial bucket list. Okay, they may be things, you know, that we want to do before we die, places we want to go, things we want to do, people we want to visit. Again, it's something that you've never done, but you want to do before you die. There are all kinds of choices. As a matter of fact, if you go to a website called bucketlist.org, they give you, I think it's over five and a half million different options and choices of things that you can choose to do before you die. Uh, This morning, I want to kind of begin a series I was kind of sharing with Callie. Uh, You know, part of the uh, interesting thing in uh, a lot of denominational churches, maybe some of you come out of a a Catholic background, uh, would know that this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And a lot of churches, you know, kind of recognize that, they celebrate that, uh, and you'll kind of maybe see people uh, on, on that Ash Wednesday, they're kind of walking around with an Ash uh, cross, sign of the cross uh, on the forehead. Uh, again, it's just a reminder uh, that it's Ash Wednesday. Um, we don't traditionally here uh, recognize that I've, I've done it uh, in the past. It, it kind of went over like a lead balloon here, so I really didn't feel uh, compelled to do it again. Uh, but often, one of the things I really truly appreciated about the denominational churches uh, and and this season of Lent, which is what they they call it, is it really is kind of an opportunity. Uh, to really begin to kind of take inventory of our lives. Uh, Lent was kind of an opportunity where we kind of began to prepare uh, ourselves for Easter. We kind of do that with Christmas and the Advent. We have those four Sundays, you know, before Christmas, and we kind of use that to build up and to kind of lead us up to Christmas. And then, you know, Christmas Eve and Christmas gets here. And sometimes I kind of feel like when we don't really take time to observe what we would call the Lenten season, I told Callie, sometimes I just feel like Easter ambushes us. It's kind of like, you know, Easter Sunday's here, and, and we're kind of like, oh, it's Easter. Uh, so there's really kind of no buildup. We're not doing really anything to prepare the way for that. And so I told Callie, I kind of want to do this uh, series called The Bucket List, and I kind of want to use it as a way to begin to prepare us uh, for the celebration um, of Easter. And so throughout the series, I want to kind of be talking about, um, you know, seven things that I think should be on every person's bucket list, okay? These are things that, that I think all of us should and need 
to do before we kind of kick the bucket. And again, there's a difference between the things you want to do before you die and the things, you know, that you would be wise to do uh, before you die. And the list is very, very short. Again, there's seven things I think that every person should make sure these are on your bucket list. Now, I didn't come up with these, you know, seven uh, willy-nilly. I didn't get them from a website or a survey. These came from Jesus. Okay? These are seven things that were very, very important to Jesus. They were seven things he said, uh, seven things that he did uh, before um, he left this earth. Uh, And again, they're important to him, so they ought to be important to us. And we find uh, the very first thing uh, that he said um, is there in Luke 30, 23, verse 34. And in this saying there, we find not only our greatest problem, but we find there also our greatest need. And there Jesus said in Luke 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Interestingly, while the world was doing their very worst to Jesus, Jesus is doing his very best for the world and for mankind. And again, you may be at a place right now in your life where you're not right with someone. Maybe someone has betrayed you, someone has wronged you, someone has done something uh, to you. Uh, Maybe you've not forgiven someone who has failed you. Uh, Maybe you're bitter uh, towards someone who maybe has kind of said or done some things uh, to you. But in this simple statement, As he's hanging upon the cross, Jesus tells us how we can make sure to enter into the next life, eternal life, with a clean slate. And there are three things that Jesus did in his relationship with others that we need to do in our relationship with others as well. Because not only do we want to live right, but we want to die right. The first thing is we got to be focused on God. The greatest injustice that has ever been done to anyone, the greatest act of unfairness that was ever done to anybody doesn't compare to what was done to Jesus upon the cross. When you look upon the cross, there is the perfect, the holy, sinless son of God. He is being crucified upon a cross for the sins of other people. Let that sink in, the sins of other people. Now, you would expect as Jesus is hanging there upon the cross in excruciating agony, you would expect that maybe his focus would kind of just be upon the people who mocked him, who spat upon him, who put those crown of thorns upon his head. Maybe he would be focused upon the people who drove those nails into his hand, the ones who put that cross into the ground. It may be upon the people who came by and taunted him. No, that's not where Jesus' focus was at all. 
He shows us where his focus was as he hung upon the cross. He said, Father, his focus was on God. Again, listen to the first words out of his mouth. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Every time someone hurts you, someone wrongs you, someone betrays you, someone fails you, every time someone pulls the rug out from under your feet, every time someone takes a a, a shot at you, every time someone crushes your heart, the first thing the devil is going to tell you to do is to focus on that person who has wronged you, who has hurt you, who has betrayed you. Here's what Jesus understood, and here's something Jesus wants us to understand as well. Every hurt, every heartache, every betrayal is a sign. It is an invitation that God wants you to turn your focus toward him. Again, that's not our natural human tendency. Our natural human inclination is to put our focus upon the person who has hurt us. Our inclination, again, is to focus upon the situation that we have been wronged and the ways we've been wronged. And we rehearse that and we replay that to ourselves and to others. That's where our focus tends to go. It's not where it went with Jesus. Every hurt, every heartache is a sign. It is an invitation that God wants you to turn your attention, your focus toward him. Those who crucified Jesus, they had no sympathy for him. They had no compassion for him. But Jesus had nothing but sympathy and compassion for every one of them. Do you realize this is the only time, and the video kind of alluded to this, this is the only time Jesus ever had to ask his father to forgive others. On every other occasion where you see Jesus offering forgiveness, Jesus is the one who is giving that forgiveness. But here in this situation upon the cross, Jesus is asking the Father to forgive them. Why did he do that? Remember, Jesus forgave the man of his sins and the Pharisees, the religious people, their response was, Only God can forgive sins. Who does this Jesus think he is? He's doing something only God can do. And they were telling the truth. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. But as he hung there on the cross, he was hanging there as a human being. And he was not dying as God. He was dying as a human being. And Jesus still wanted the only one who could forgive sins to forgive those who were hurting, betraying, and crucifying him. This is an amazing statement. So much so that the disciples remembered it when Peter kind of looks back on this event and he's kind of writing 
his epistles, he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He said, when they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Look at what Jesus does. He entrusted himself to God. Here's the thing, if you can trust God with your hurt, you can trust God with your heart. If you can trust God with your hurt, you can trust God with your heart. If you can trust God who loves you, then you can trust God with those who hate you. Listen, hurts and heartaches, they never ever should become walls that divide us. They should rather be bridges that kind of bring us closer to God. When others turn their backs on you, again, we are invited. We see through Jesus's example, we are to turn our eyes, our focus upon him. Second thing is be full of forgiveness. Now, Jesus is focused on the father. He says, father, forgive them. Now, let's be honest and, and, and put yourself in that situation. If someone had just pressed a crown of thorns upon your head, if someone had just spat on you or they mocked you, or again, they were driving nails or, or stripped you naked or were mocking you, making fun of you, taunting you, they're gambling for your clothes, not because of anything you have done. Honestly, would you be able to make that kind of statement, Father, forgive them? Just think about when somebody maybe kind of cuts you off in traffic or maybe they kind of pull out in front of you. Honestly, is that your first thought? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's ah, not our first thought. It's not my first thought. Matter of fact, if I told you what my first thought is when someone d does that, I probably wouldn't have a job here anymore. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross, do you realize one of the options he has is he could have called down legions of angels, and legions of angels would have been thousands and thousands of angels. Just one word. Jesus could have called forth legions of angels. And these angels, I mean, they're battle ready. They're at death con one. They are ready to go. And all Jesus had to say was Sikkim, Gabriel, and they would have come and they would have rescued Jesus. But instead, he chooses to say, Father, forgive them. What's interesting in that word forgive, it's in the present tense in the Greek language, which says it's something that is happening continuously. Meaning Jesus didn't just say this one time, but rather Jesus is saying this repeatedly as those soldiers are stripping him naked. He's saying, Father, forgive them. As they're driving those thorn of crowns upon his head, he's saying, Father, forgive them. As they're gambling for his clothes, he's saying, Father, forgive them. Everything they're doing to Jesus, he's just continuously, constantly saying, Father, forgive them. Jesus was absolutely always full of forgiveness. 
And if anyone ever had a reason and a right to not forgive, it was Jesus. He's the ultimate innocent victim. And it wasn't just that he was innocent of a particular accusation. Jesus was innocent of any and every accusation. He never wronged anybody. He never ever said a bad word, never had a wrong thought, never did a wrong deed. He was 100% perfect before his father. Here is the one who needed no forgiveness and yet forgave those who had no right to be forgiven. That's powerful. Both in this event and in this statement, you will learn one of the greatest truths about God, about your sin, and about his love. And that is, with God, he meets guilt with grace. God meets guilt with grace. I don't get too comfortable here. Oftentimes, again, we can kind of see Jesus saying those words and and kind of speaking to the people who were in front of him there at the cross, speaking to the people who had done these deeds, these horrendous deeds to him. But again, we need to be reminded, it wasn't just the Romans who nailed him to that cross. I think it was Martin Luther who said, we carry the very nails in our own pocket, meaning it wasn't just their sin that Jesus was dying for, it was our sin. It wasn't just them driving those nails into his hands, it's our sins as well that drove those nails into his hands. And as we see that statement, Jesus, forgive them. Father, forgive them. We can take that word them And we can exchange that and interchange that with a very, very simple two-letter word, and that is me. Forgive me. This is where, again, it becomes personal for us. We need to be forgiven for what we have done or not done. So I ask you, Is there something, and again, oftentimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. Are there things that maybe have happened in your life? This is something I had to struggle with. It was something I really had to deal with this past summer. As I kind of began to sit down and and begin to deal with the issues in my life that many of you are aware of, I was very, very hard on myself It was very, very difficult for me as I'm hearing others say to me, I forgive you. I had a very, very difficult time forgiving myself. So maybe you're here this morning and and maybe the biggest person in your life that's in need of forgiveness is you. And you need to hear those words as Jesus would speak them to you. Father, Father, Forgive them, forgive me. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe there's people in your life that have wronged you, that have hurt you, that have betrayed you. Maybe people that have done things that are unfair. 
And maybe you need to speak those words this morning and say, Father, I forgive them. Father, you forgive them. Again, it's important for us, just as Jesus died with a clean slate, we also need to die with a clean slate as well. Third thing is, we just need to be free of bitterness. I will tell you the one emotion that always attaches itself to unforgiveness is bitterness. You will not have the one without the other. If you're if there's unforgiveness in your heart, look closely because bitterness is also somewhere in there. Interestingly, uh, many people not only carry grudges and bitterness, but they feel like they have a right to it. A lot of times people who are filled with unforgiveness and bitterness, they kind of feel entitled to it. There was a study that was done uh, in the uh, Journal of Adult Development, and and they found that 75% of people believe that they have been forgiven by God. But interestingly, only 52% say they have forgiven others, and fewer, 43%, say they have actively sought forgiveness for the wrongs or the harms they've done to others. And again, I don't wanna make light of what some of you maybe have gone through. I certainly don't want to make light of some things that have been uh, done to you, but I'll oftentimes hear people when I'm talking about forgiveness, the need to forgive is oftentimes they'll say, pastor, you have no idea what you're asking me to do. Pastor, you have no idea the situation I went through. Oh, if you only knew what they did to me, you would understand why I'm walking in unforgiveness. You know what? You're right. You're right. I I don't understand. But here's the thing, people that hurt you, Oftentimes, they don't know that they've hurt you, or sometimes they know they just don't care because you're the one that got hurt. And and I understand that. Jesus understands that because Jesus basically says the same thing. He says, Father, forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. Oftentimes, that's the same situation we're in. People hurt us, they don't realize what they've done. People say things and they don't realize how that affected us. People do things, they don't realize the impact that's had upon us. Yeah, just like Jesus said, they don't know what they were doing. Or if they knew what they were doing, they simply didn't care. Ignorance is not innocence. Ignorance is no excuse with a policeman. It's not an excuse with God. What did Jesus mean when he said that? Father, forgive them because they know not, they don't know what they're doing. Again, they knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were crucifying a Jew. They just didn't know who this Jew was. They, they realized they were crucifying a Jewish man. They just didn't realize he was the son of God. Think about that. 
The Romans, they just thought that they were kind of just settling a dispute. Pilate thought he was just keeping the peace. The Jews thought, we're just doing God a favor here. This man is blaspheming. He's equating himself as being equal to God. They just thought they were doing God's work in crucifying Jesus. They really either didn't know, they didn't believe that they were crucifying the Son of God. So I want you to know, God understands, God gets it. When people hurt you, the only two people who really understand the degree of pain, the degree of hurt you're in, is you and God. But Jesus still said then and now, Father, forgive them. Doesn't matter that they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. What Jesus did for people who hurt him, Jesus wants us to do for people who hurt us. We can die forgiven of our sins against God, and we also need to die forgiving others for their sins against us. This, my friends, is the last step we need to take before we take the first step into eternal life. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive, not only that we might be forgiven, but that we in turn might also be forgiving toward others. God forgives us because Jesus died for us. He expects us to forgive others because Jesus lives in us. If we're gonna live like Jesus, one of the ways we've got to live is to be forgiving toward others because that's how Jesus lived. It's how he died. And this means that we are going to not only be free of unforgiveness, we're also gonna be free of bitterness. A truly forgiven follower of Jesus will be a totally forgiving follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. A truly forgiven follower of Jesus will also be a totally forgiving follower of Jesus. Forgiveness, if you just break that down, it says it all. It's for giving. It means we are giving up something. We are giving something to others. When we forgive, we give up our right to hurt someone because they have hurt us. We give up the right to revenge. We're giving them the opportunity to see Christ in us. And this is what we're moving toward when we're moving toward forgiving someone. It's exactly what Jesus does for us on the cross. They're stripped, naked, beaten, wronged, sinned against. He gave up his right to condemn us for what we did to him and says these words, Father, forgive them. Instead of cursing us, Jesus blessed us. Instead of calling down the wrath of God upon us, Jesus brings to us the love of God in all of its fullness. 
And here's where I want to close this morning. When you can't forgive or you're struggling to forgive, where do you go? You go to the cross. Because here's the thing, the closer you get to the cross of Christ, the more you will be led into forgiveness. The closer you get to the cross, the closer God's going to lead you in that path of forgiveness. It's at the cross of Christ that we can give to Jesus our pain, our hurts, our bitterness, our anger. He invites us then to let him, not us, let him carry our pain, carry our wounds. We can give to him our pain and let him bear that upon the cross. The apostle Paul said, and I close with these words from Galatians chapter two, beginning in verse 19, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for you and me that the forgiveness he walked in is the forgiveness we can walk in. The love and the grace that he walked in is the love and the grace that we can walk in when we choose to be crucified with Christ. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, again, as I give that invitation, Father. Again, we just uh, stand before you. And your word says, God, that you see our hearts. You know all of our thoughts. That, God, you know us better than we know ourselves. And, God, this morning we just pause We just silence our heart before you. And God, we invite you to search our hearts this morning. And God, in that searching of our hearts this morning, if there is any unforgiveness in us towards ourselves, towards others, and God, there may even be people that are carrying unforgiveness here this morning towards you. Maybe feeling that you've let them down or you've not come through for them in a way that they felt like you needed to. And, and God, there may be people here that are harboring unforgiveness towards you. God, where, wherever the source of that unforgiveness is, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just take us to that place, to that person, to that situation, whatever it may be, the source of that unforgiveness, that God, you would just again begin to reveal that to our hearts this morning. And God, as that person, that situation comes to mind. Again, Father, we just invite you through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable us to begin to release that person, to begin to release those circumstances, those situations. The Father, we would no longer hold on to those, but God, we would just give them to you. Our hurt, our pain, our wounds, our bitterness, 
whatever else may be there, God, that we just give that to you this morning. We just set that person free. We thank you for the example that Jesus has given to us upon the cross. We thank you that he lives within us. And that power that he had to forgive others, that that power lives in us, that choice that he made to forgive others, that that choice is also in us, that we can choose now to be forgiving and in choosing to forgive that we can be free. Father, as we just again come before you, God, if there's anything that we need to do, maybe there's people we've wronged, people that we need to go to and ask for their forgiveness. Father, again, just pray that you would bring those people, those situations, God, and again, give us the wisdom, give us the courage to go and to ask for forgiveness. God, this morning, we just want to be able to live and to die with a clean slate before you and before others. So, Father, we just pray you'll continue to work this message, this call to forgiveness in our hearts, that, God, you would cause that to be worked out in our lives and our responses. And again, God, we, we long to glorify you with our lives. We long to live our lives as Jesus lived. So this morning, Father, we long to be filled with forgiveness. We long to be forgiven by you. We long to forgive others. So Lord, we just come to you. We ask you again just to be the shepherd, the king of our hearts this morning. We just thank you for your patience. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your forgiveness. Just enable and empower us to not only be forgiven, but to forgive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.